This week's episode of Fright Bites is dedicated to horror writer Peter Straub and his books that inspired a generation of horror fans. Boils and ghouls. Turn out the lights. And keep the popcorn coming. Because it's time for another episode of Fright Fights Podcast. Fright Fights Podcast. Get ready for your gore gang. Tyler Cavett, Chris Lax, and Mike McKinney tackling horror news, reviews, and fight for their survival. Coming to you from the Fright Fights Fear Lodge. Get ready to sink your fangs into a battle that will make your blood run cold. This is Fright Fights. Oh, I was wanting to start out um, the episode with a dedication to Peter Straub. How do you guys feel that? Yeah. Is that you cool with that? that. Like, yeah. We don't have to like go into details. We can just like, since this is a like literary horror kind of like thing, I think that him dying was like the perfect time because we have this episode. Wow. I'm wow. Glad, I'm glad that Peter Straub is dead. Wow. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you guys. We want to give a shout out and a big thanks to Peter Stroud for dying today. <laughs> no, I just think it's kind of weird that we plan like a literary horror episode and then the next day Peter Straub dies. Dead. What are the chances? <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm I'm glad you're dead. Okay. Moving on <laughs> to the important stuff. The task at hand. How about we talk about our journey together as a threesome to see? Ooh. Oh, shit. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, this don't get out. My wife how was, so, how was your guys' threesome experience with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Did you feel very touched by Leatherface? Would you allow Leatherface to join the threesome and make a foursome? Is my question. My thing is, I'm just glad I'm not the guy in the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> so so this, the whole movie. <laughs> so this past week, um, we've kind of filled the theaters with horror films. Uh, we had a special like, 10 o'clock screening of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the theater at Camp Landing. We were surprised as hell at how many people showed up for this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely we, insane. We were setting, you know, probably about three or four rows from the front, which is that's in that area. That's a pretty good seat that we had. And people just start piling in and piling in. And we looked to the back and like almost the entire theater was gone, except for the stuff in front of us. Like nobody wanted to sit in the front rows, but everything from us and back was pretty much sold out. It was it was ridiculous. It was just you, Chris. They didn't want to sit next to you. They were like, you know, <laughs> we see that guy over here. He's here every single week. We're going to sit away from him. We don't like him. But um, Mike didn't even want to sit next to me. 
Exactly. Hey, yeah, listen, Mike was trying to sit uh, away from us the whole time. I was actually trying to sit in the back row. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, honestly, it was really shocking with how many people were actually there. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that many people really liked the original, which I love. Um, but um, I think it was you, Tyler, that mentioned it was more of a comedy or supposed to come off as a comedy. And then actually, like, watching it on the big screen, I, I really, really saw the side of the comic side come out. Like, uh, it, I guess it's just been so long since I've seen the original. And, uh, you know, I couldn't help myself, I mean, to laugh almost throughout the movie of how there were a lot of, like, comical acts in the movie. So, um, and was it you that said that, Tyler? Um, yeah, so um, Toby Hooper initially had thought and imagined the film as a dark comedy. And... It later on, you know, uh, the way I would say it would be like, think Evil Dead. Sam Raimi is to Evil Dead nice. as Toby Hooper is to Texas Chainsaw Massacre is how I would see it. It was never meant to be something that was taking itself too seriously. And, um, you know, I think that the comedy maybe at the time when it first came out back in the 70s. Now, before we get too far, I do want to say everybody knows this about me. You guys definitely know this about me as well. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is literally like top five maybe ten horror films of all time for me and it's one that i really don't like watching too much because it kind of has that spark every time i watch it of pure horror pure comedy and all that good stuff but what i want to say about the experience that we had with it this time is it played absolute gangbusters in this theater like it was absolutely fantastic to watch it with an audience because you kind of got that comedy that you would not have gotten like 40 years ago over 40 yeah. years ago it was obviously terrifying for these people experiencing it in theaters you hear all the horror stories about like people fainting and stuff too so now to kind of like sit back with a bunch of like horror nerds and people who really adore this film so many years later obviously it really i mean it resonates so well and um it, that, i mean like the comedy played fantastic i was laughing there was like one who yeah. like screamed halfway through it. I was like, you know, it's doing everything that it set out to do. And that's all we could ask for, really. Yeah, and I, I told you that I remembered uh, I started seeing things in the film that I'd never noticed before. And yeah. um, there was one moment where, toward the end of it, whenever you have like the big dinner scene, mm -hmm. right before that, Leatherface and the hitchhiker are carrying Grandpa down the stairs <laughs> in his chair. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I, I had never noticed that before. And they are literally like it's just a full shot of them picking him up, walking mm -hmm. down the stairs, and like Leatherface is looking behind him, trying to step down the steps. And it's just a very awkward shot <laughs> that I'd never noticed until watching it on the big screen. Yeah, my favorite, my absolute favorite moment of that's whenever they're like, "Give Grandpa a turn over here. He wants a turn." <laughs> And they're like, come on, Grandpa, hit her! And like that, he keeps like trying to like fucking like put her down. He like, keeps like dropping it halfway down. It's so funny. What about the um, scene, Chris, that um, you picked up on earlier um, with the the knife? Tell about that. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. You knew what we're uh, talking about, right? You don't remember? I, said, I don't remember. I oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so mad. So, you said you leaned over to me. So, I was like sitting here just like staring at the screen. We were all kind of like in awe. And there was this moment where um they like take the guy takes the picture. What's his name? Oh my god. 
Uh, oh, oh, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't want to okay, so, Yeah, so in the van when the hitch when they pick the hitchhiker up and he takes the picture, um he grabs Franklin's knife and he cuts his hand with it. And That's you know he, right. he gets blood all over the knife and to the part to whenever he hands it back to Franklin, it shows Franklin wiping it off on his shirt. And yeah. then later on in the movie uh, well, after they after they get rid of the Hitchhiker, um, Franklin's uh, Sally uh, takes the knife from Franklin, and she starts using it on something. And I never paid attention to what she was doing, but she's actually cutting a sandwich with that knife, and then she hands the sandwiches to Franklin to eat. And I just thought that, like, it kind of grossed me out. I never put two and two together, and it really made me kind of gag a little bit, thinking that this hitchhiker just cut his hand on that, and then all all they did was just wipe it off on the shirt in order to serve a sandwich with it. It was the seventies, dude. They don't care about. They, yeah, they, they had. They were hitchhiking. You know, whatever. There was nothing but the smell of the <laughs> van and uh, sweat. That's all it was. Oh yeah, and <laughs> who Chris... cares about a little blood? I'm like literally watching this movie and I remember I'm always resonated with Franklin as being a super, super annoying character. And I look over at Chris, I'm like, man, you know, Franklin is just literally always the most annoying character to me. And Chris is like, I actually felt really bad for Franklin this time. And he said that he really didn't like normally feel that way, but something about watching it on the screen this time made him like, can I feel bad for the character Franklin? I thought that was kind of interesting too. Because it really kind of did play a little differently. It did. It it felt like yeah. the characters were from where everything was so big and everything is so you're so imaginated with everything that you focus on every detail. So whenever Franklin is pulling his wheelchair up to the house, when everybody else has already ran inside the house and they went upstairs to goof around, he's just left by himself. Like nobody gives a crap about him. And he's just, you know, he can't get through the house. It's all, it's really narrow little ways and it's all grown up and just gross. And he's trying to do it all by himself and he's having a lot of trouble and there's nobody there to help him. And I felt really bad for him. And even whenever he's like doing his little spill, when he's like, if I have any more fun, I'll just die. Like that for some reason, it was funny. Wait a minute, can, can you, can you sorry. say that again? In that voice, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> If I have any more fun, I'm just gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You so know, that, that character is super terrible. You know who he reminds me of? Gotta give a shout out. Thomas Lacey. He reminds me a lot of him. <laughs> <laughs> super annoying crap. character, right? Yeah. Super annoying and nobody wants to help that would love to leave behind. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love, Thomas. But yeah, um, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, like rewatching it on the big screen, but I mean, I had so much fun, and I had to reframe myself from actually laughing out loud so much in the movies because it was so comical. And mm -hmm. um, but on a respect level, it it was so so great seeing something to me as I think as you said, Tyler, probably top five horror movies of all time, in my opinion. Uh, but but going back and experience the the older movie on the big screen just gave you all the goosebumps. It, it was nice to see. I'm glad they did that. Yeah, I mean they were so young at the time. They were just they were really just experimenting with film. Um, 
none of them have a lot of experience. I mean, there were, there were of course some producers and there were some people involved that obviously had had a career, but a lot of them, this was their first rodeo or one of their first rodeos. So if you look at it, they really did some good stuff with like cinematography. Like if you watch it for somebody who is kind of like an all tour kind of like director, just trying to hone their craft. There's a lot of like really, really interesting like sequences and shots and I think that's really, really like respectable. And I think that's also why people really kind of like really dig this movie. I think it's why it became such a standout for people. And then now has an entire franchise based off of it is because it has those moments of like, you can't really put your finger on it, but you do get a lot of comedy. You get a lot of like terrifying horror. It's kind of like fucked up a lot too. Like a lot of it's like really messed up. And the way yeah. it's, and it's presented is really interesting. Yeah. It's, ahead, and it's yeah. really overly loud. You know what I mean? Did you all experience that? In the, it could have just been the sound quality of the theater, but oh, the no. chainsaw it's... was just overly loud. <laughs> that um, last but... 30 seconds, the, the chainsaw, yes. that every single time I'm like, why is it so loud? Yeah. <laughs> like, that last 30 like... seconds. It's always. But the, um, the last, yeah, 30, 45 seconds of him yeah. like it trying to attack. my ears. Yes, yeah, uh, I still can't hear out my left ear. <laughs> <clears throat> and honestly, the, the end scene is like one of my absolute like favorite scenes. Like you, you get like a quick like little laugh, and then you get this like sheer yeah. moment of terror. Um, Sally's covered with blood, and then you get like yeah. this like absolute just beautiful you know visual of Leatherface in the yeah. in the midst of like a sunset, and it's just insane. That's, um, that's very iconic. Just him standing there with like the chainsaw, kind of going crazy, you know, lifting in the air. It's it's very uh, very iconic that that uh, that that part of the movie. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. So, so what happened to the trucker? <laughs> we need an entire uh, yeah. side story off of that. Here, what do you <laughs> make a movie? It's just light coming out. <laughs> he just bolted. Like, he just runs and takes off running and doesn't look back. Exactly. Well, do you blame him? <laughs> so, honestly, uh, though, um, Leatherface is more likely to get the trucker than getting Sally at that point because obviously the trucker's on foot. Sally's taken off with this guy in a truck. So, really, I, I think he's still chasing him to this day. Like, yes, <laughs> exactly. Run, Forrest. Legend has it if you drive down that road to this day, you can see him chasing himself. <laughs> also, I also want to mention too. This is my my time. I'm going to give a plug to Bill Mosley. If somehow, some way, we can get our hands on a copy of the Texas Chainsaw Manicure, which was a short film that him and his friends made that had only been screened one time before, completely unavailable, completely unseen, like, by modern audiences, I would really love to see it. It's basically Leatherface is a nail tech, and instead of using, like, clippers, he uses, like, you know, a chainsaw to get people manicures. So I really would love to see that. I think we should bring that back to life. Um, So, Bill Mosley, if you are listening to this, bring that to us. We want to see that. Please. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and then this weekend too, if you guys are local, um, doubtful, but if you guys are listening and you happen to find yourself in Ashland, Kentucky, we're going to have be there again this Friday for, um, what is it this week? It's, um, Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness this week. And, uh, this past weekend I was there by myself 
um, I checked out the original Alfred Hitchcock Psycho uh, on the big screen. So they're doing a lot of really cool things at this theater. And I always wanted to see Psycho on the big screen. And this is a finally, finally got a chance to see it. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was almost like watching the movie for the first time again, because I haven't seen it in such a long time. But I expected to be the only person there. And it wasn't as big as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but there was probably about 40 people at the theater. And that surprised me as well. I didn't expect that many people to come out to, you know, a black and white movie. Um, so th that just shows you that these type of films still have what it takes to draw a crowd and to, to be able to show people how good of a film they are. Um, I never thought that Psycho was as interesting of a story as it, as it actually was whenever you have the entire ha first half of the movie being about Marion Crane just leaving her job, stealing this money, and trying to get away, it takes away the whole entire story of Norman Bates until like halfway through the film. Like I never really thought of that because you only remember like the shower scene or maybe the ending of it uh, where the detective falls down the stairs. Um, so watching it again and watching it on the big screen really kind of shed light on how good of a story and how well made the movie was. Uh, the only negative thing I could say about it was I think that modern moviegoers or the people who were there watching it weren't really all, we, all of them a fan of horror films because there was a lot of scenes that they were really laughing at. Uh, one in particular was the scene where the detective gets stabbed and falls down the stairs and it does that weird kind of like the camera zooms in while he kind of falls. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, and I don't know what kind of effect they did or how they really did the effect, but people laughed at that scene. And I, I think because the, the effect was just kind of outdated, uh, it just kind of looked strange. They laughed at it, but it was intended to be really scary. And, uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't like that people were laughing at certain scenes just because it was such an older film. I thought they just didn't get it or didn't understand it. Uh, but all, all together, I really enjoyed watching the film and, it probably would have played a little bit better had I had a few more people there with me to kind of kind of have fun with, but um, still very enjoyable to watch and great time. Oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah. It's one of my absolute favorites to this day. Um, absolutely iconic master of suspense. It has absolutely beautiful camera shots. Like you mentioned. Um, and I don't know why. Yeah. I'm trying to think now. If there was any moments, because I had seen it on the big screen too with an audience that was probably about the same size, but it's been about seven or eight years ago. Now I'm not for sure how it played. I can't really remember, but I remember like it was very enthralling to see on the big screen because although this was a film that shot in black and white from what 60 years ago, it still really has a beautiful cinematography kind of quality to it. So, yeah, <clears throat> definitely Speaking one of Psycho. Speaking of Psycho, did you all ever watch the the Bates Motel when it was out, the episodes? If you did, did you enjoy that? Oh, yeah. I absolutely love it. It's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's very – I thought I really enjoyed that. What was there, four seasons, something like that? I don't recall, but I really enjoyed that whole um, series of, of Bates Motel. I thought it was done very well. I even really enjoy like Psycho 2, 3, and 4. Um, I know that a lot of people kind of like hate on it. I think that, you know, some of them were even like just made for TV movies, but they were very kind of like, right. fun, kind of cool, almost like detective-y, which I mean, Psycho does have a lot of detectiveness to it as well, besides just being a thriller. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty great. Um, Anthony Perkins kills it. So definitely want to check out. All right, and this week I actually checked out a movie called We're All Going to the World's Fair. Um, it's now available on HBO Max. Um, I've actually watched it twice now. And what's really interesting about it is that it's one of those films that really are, is trying to like be, how would I even describe it? It's very like digital age. It's like one of those like films, almost like an art film. And essentially all it is, is it's this girl who like takes this challenge. It's called like the world's fair challenge. And the opening scene, you basically just look at the camera and say, I want to go to the world's fair three times. Once you say that, you turn off your camera on your laptop. You can upload it online or whatever to show your friends that you're taking this challenge. And essentially, things are supposed to start happening. I mean, that's a very like trite kind of a, you know, premise to this story. It's been done to death a million times before. So um, already it's very, very slow at the very beginning, the very opening scene. But one thing it really got me is that it doesn't really like progress from that. It stays kind of still very slow moving, kind of boring. Um, you get to see her basically reach out for help halfway through saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know what's going on with me because I just keep staying up at night and then this and that. And essentially there's this um this guy who has been investigating survivors or like people who have taken the welfare challenge that essentially has had like issues with you know the challenge, like kind of making their life fall out of order and weird things start occurring. And whenever I I know it sounds like I'm making this very generalized, but literally one scene, guys, I shit you not, it's just her dancing and singing on her bed, and then she stares at the camera. For like four minutes and then it mm. literally cuts and that was apparently supposed to be like one of the weird like side effects of taking this challenge and eventually this progresses to where she starts doing more weird shit um she reaches out to other people online and she watches other people's videos to be like guys i don't know what's going on there's one scene that's really stupid where like she pulls tickets out of her mouth like admit one tickets and then she's like, oh, and then oh, the entire movie, about 75% of it or more, takes place with just her in front of her camera. And that's it. So essentially, you know, the closest thing I could pair the way this moved to is Paranormal Activity. That would be the oh, wow. absolute closest. But imagine if Paranormal Activity was trying to do something far more pretentious. And, you know, it's really, I'm going to get like shit for this probably too, because let me tell you, a lot of people really like this movie. It premiered, I think, at like Sundance or something last year. People received it very well. Um, there was a lot of hype around it. And they're like, you know, the director, which is like Sh Jane Shobrin, Shubrin, um, brand new director, um, apparently is going to be doing some really big things because A24 just announced that they're doing a new movie with her um, as the director on there. And they actually have some really big names that's going to be casted in that. So it sounds like she's getting a career. And apparently from that, I don't understand exactly what people saw, but um, you know, we're going to the world's fair is just, it's just honestly atrocious. And I would say that about 80% of the people I've talked to with it is just praising it. I don't know what they've seen. Um, I would definitely 
watch it if you have HBO Max. I would not make a special trip or a special purchase for it. But it's one of those just like digital age young girl doing a internet challenge type video. Basically just a spinoff from like a Blair Witch project for digital times. So uh, hmm. I gave it like a four out of ten. And I think that that's being extremely fair. Um, I think right now, like people, I think on like Rotten Tomatoes, it's got like almost like 80 or 90 percent, I'm pretty sure. So it's kind of crazy to know that it's that well received because I definitely did not see that at all. So um, you guys, I can tell that you guys would absolutely hate it, though. So I definitely would not recommend watching it. It's definitely not something that you guys would be into, I don't think. So that is We're Going to World's Fair, HBO Max. Don't watch it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely do not watch it. Have you guys heard? Have you guys heard about? You know what I'm talking about? Have you guys heard of the film? I've heard heard of it, it. but I've not. I've not seen anything about it. No trailers or nothing. I never, never bothered to watch it. Not much on the advertisement level on that movie. Yeah, right here. I I just pulled up to make sure that I was right. Um, Run Tomatoes, ninety-one percent. Yeah, absolutely. People were praising it. Favorable reviews. It has um Anna Cobb starring in it. Um, there's also this the guy that goes to help her is named Michael Rogers. He stars as JLB, which is the guy who's like trying to help these people who like took the World's Fair challenge. So I I don't know. It's just it's just not good. But um yeah, that's that. Mike, what'd you see? I watched uh, Orphan First Kill. Oh. Um. Man, do your do your best to give a spoiler-free review. Not a lot of people have seen it, and I haven't seen it. And I don't think Tyler's seen it yet either. No, and I I'm actually not... watched Orphan in preparation for it, so I'm excited. I'm like pumped. Well, I really enjoyed the first Orphan. Real, really enjoyed the over the, the movie as a whole. But not to go in and give too much detail. <clears throat> I'm just going to kind of. I'm not even going to go into explaining it because. I feel like any piece could really lead into kind of giving away the movie, but it's, there's a twist. There's a big twist in the middle of the movie. And when you see it, you'll kind of question yourself is like the orphan. uh, What's her name? I forgot her name in the movie. Um, Esther almost takes ownership of the good the good person like you know she's the she's not evil she's like i wouldn't say hero of the movie but she's not evil and it's such a twist which at first when i was watching the movie i was like okay this is a this is a good change because the family that quote unquote i can't say adopted her i i I don't want to give too much information away the family she went to um it's they're really messed up the mother and the son that the family that esther went to they have major issues and there's a major cover-up that they're trying to hide from her husband and the son's father obviously but so they're they're keeping him out of the loop of what the the cover-up God, I can't get, I can't really go into detail without giving it. I, I just got, I got to watch myself. I got to be very careful because anything could lead off and, and give the, give away the story. But I do say watch it because going the first 40 minutes of the movie, really good. 
very good. Um, Esther's, you know, evil, manipulative, you know, uh, the way she <clears throat> masterminds, you know, uh, individuals and, and kind of like a con artist, uh, manipulates individuals of believing who, who she is or who she wants to portray other than who she's not. Um, you, you get that whole part of Esther, but then about an hour into it, it takes a turn and it, to me, it goes way downhill. You know, Esther's evil and the movie kind of makes her look like she's the good individual of the movie, the quote unquote, star of the movie which is i mean i guess she is in a way but she's not the evil individual it's actually the family that she's going to so um i i wanted to give it a an overall rating because like i said if i go too much too much more into it it's going to give away everything that that um that the movie's trying to to show but i i give it a 6 it's not terrible i really wanted to like it because i really enjoyed the first one but um, overall, it was it was average at best. The middle twist <clears throat> could have been better, but I think the the way they went with it, uh, displaying Esther as the good the good person in the movie, uh, really failed. Really failed uh, as a whole on who she is, who her you know character is. Um, but I give it a six. Yes, definitely worth a watch. Um, I think it's on. Um, it's on Paramount right now, Paramount Plus. Yeah. So it's on Paramount Plus. Definitely watch it. Um, it's definitely worth a watch. But I, I, I want to know what you guys think of it if you do watch it on our next podcast because the middle twist I did not enjoy, but you guys could have a different view on it. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear what you guys may may think of it uh, if you do give it a watch in the next few weeks. Um, my question – see, I don't, I don't know anything about – the is this? I don't know if it's a prequel, sequel. I don't know what you call it. I'm assuming where it's called Orphan First Kill. Does it follow the family of the fire? It does. So it's okay. I forgot how many years it happened after, but she's in a you know a mental institute, and um, it kind of starts off with her being locked up. Oh, okay. and, you know, like a yeah. So. I guess. So it's kind I of like, like a. I like I said, I gotta be really. Yeah. It's like a from the uh, original film, is what it's correct. From that. Yep, okay. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like it's like really interesting because I know that you, with Orphan, you really couldn't go further in the timeline. They definitely go backwards. So I'm glad they did choose that route instead of trying to like somehow make a weird sequel that wouldn't work. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I have heard mixed things. So, yeah. kind of like what you have with it. It's kind of 50 50. But so you uh, would say, I guess if, would you like Orphan more, you think, the original? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hands down. Um, it, it was more, you know, to me, it was more, it was, it bothered me more the first one just by watching it. It's creepy how, you know, man, manipulative she, the, the, or, the Esther was. This one, it was, it kind of felt rushed, the movie, and like they were running out of ideas. But then again, like I said, the first 40 minutes of the movie, I really enjoyed. Um, if the first 40 minutes kept on, tr kept on pace and, you know, went that route of 
old Esther, just like, you know, <laughs> killing people, <laughs> killing people, you know, being, being care, just did not care who she attacked or who got in the way. I thought it would, would have been maybe an eight out of 10. I thought it was leading in the right direction. But for me, the twist in the middle of the movie kind of did it for me mm-hmm. that I did not fully enjoy. <laughs> Nice. So average well, at best. Average out. at best. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I mean, I don't have. I'm gonna go in very. I feel like it's one of those movies that you would enjoy if you walk in with very low expectations, like super. You low. have to with this one, <laughs> definitely with this one. Yep. Yep. Yeah, nice. I haven't even watched a trailer to it or anything. I'm trying to keep all spoilers away so I can see it fresh. Can I be honest with you guys? It's a movie that I thought that they were like screwing with us. I thought like they were like not actually even like finished filming it up until literally a week before it came out. I was still telling myself, this isn't real. It's not going to come out. It's just like a, a rumored thing. So it's one of those movies. I never watched the trailer. I never really checked anything out. And it wasn't until like the day before I was like, wait, they actually are going to release this. Okay. I didn't yeah. know it really yeah. existed. It's just kind of just I didn't even know up. it was out. Yeah, I didn't even know it was out until I started just flipping through some uh, streaming apps. And I was like bored one day at work. I was figuring out what I was going to watch on lunch. And uh, I saw Paramount Plus. And I, I saw it and I was like, there's no way this is available. Maybe it's just a teaser trailer. But no, it's it's full length movie. It's on right <laughs> yeah. now. And I don't, I don't know anything about it really except for what you have said, Mike, because I haven't watched anything on it. But I'm really confused by it because in the first film, it's a girl who plays an adult who looks like a little girl. So now that yes. she's a grown adult, it, the movie takes place before the events of the first film, yet she's still the same character. So how do No, I... no, no. So I, I, either I have uh, given led with different uh, information. No, it's after the first film. Oh, it is after, after the first film. It is okay. after the first film. So she's... She's locked up for this the things that she's done, like basically. So this is after the first film, not before. Okay, so I was a little confused there because it's you know, no. or orphan oh, no, first well, kill, and I'm gonna have to second that curse because now I'm confused because I thought it was before. <laughs> no, because, yeah, because in the if you remember back in Orphan, it says she was like for- basically locked up in a mental institution, and then she gets adopted because she goes to the orphanage the family takes them in and apparently she kills them in a fire and then yeah, she goes yeah. back to the mental institution and then gets readopted by you know maggie gyllenhaal's family oh no so, oh my gosh no is it vera formiga sorry vera formiga well <laughs> so it the op- i will give you this the opening scene the first 10 minutes will lead into like a investigate or I, I guess like a meeting about esther displaying the fire uh, uh, of the previous house you know um oh. how she killed the family um and i there's this <clears throat> teacher that like it's art teacher slash psychologist that goes to see her and i guess you know to i guess help her with activities to like display artwork you know because she is like supposedly into artwork but she goes there to <clears throat> give her like a I guess hope being locked up, uh, and it—it's just—it's very odd to see this girl. I mean, uh, 
man, I just can't, I, I got to tiptoe around it because no. I would give up too much information. And I really got to be careful because any little bit can lead into giving away the, the, the movie in whole, but it is definitely after the first movie. And uh, I'm not going to say she gets adopted. So I'll leave it at that. She just, let, well, I'll put it this way. She does not get adopted like the first movie. Let's put it that way. Okay. Perfect. Well, yeah, me and Chris I'll leave it there. check it out and we'll, yeah. we'll have to report we'll back. We'll have to see it. Yeah, we'll have to see it. Nice. So well, I watched a movie, Tyler. I watched a movie that uh, I don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not that bad. It was a, It's a film from 2011. It's called Fright Flick. And it's about a group of filmmakers who are making a slasher film, and it's it's the third film in a slasher like a franchise, and it's kind of those things where the first one was made years ago, it became a big hit, um, but the story behind it is during the making of the first movie, the lead star gets murdered, and then so in this production, stuff starts happening again, and each one of the of the cast members gets killed one by one. Um, and it's, there's like this big twist toward the end about who's responsible for it and everything. But the it's, it's a low budget film, very, very low budget. But the one thing that I noticed is as soon as the movie starts, that the acting is awful. It is so bad that I almost immediately turned it off because it was so bad. But I was like, you know what? They have this has to be a shot from the movie, as in like the movie that they're making within the movie. And I was I was right. So these people are making a bad slasher film with like really bad acting. They keep talking about how bad the acting in the movie is. All the characters are referencing the main cast member, saying we don't want her to be a cast member because she's such a bad actress. The only reason I don't like this aspect of it is because the people that are playing the parts that are making the movie are also bad actors as well. So it's like bad actors trying to make a movie complaining about people who are bad actors. And it just, it doesn't fit well because it, it really made me mad. Um, but it's, it's overly dramatic when it comes to the acting. And the first 30 to 40 minutes is, is kind of hard to get through because all you focus on is how, horrible these actors are but then whenever the killing starts the effects are actually really well done i give them credit it's all practical effects uh it being such a low budget i don't think they really had much choice um but the effects were really really good the the acting got better and the quality of film got better for some reason i feel like when they first started making the movie it looked really bad but then, like, somehow halfway through the movie, it like, the quality changed, and it got better. Like, they changed cameras or something. Um, but from that point on, I started liking the film. There's a twist to it where I, I didn't see the twist happening. I didn't guess who it was or what the reason behind the, the, the choice was. Um, and I actually found myself entertained by it. I enjoyed that part. But it's the first part of it with the really horrible acting and the people just telling everybody how bad everybody is at acting really down the movie. Um, so it, it's on Tubi. If you want to give it a shot, it does have to deal with filmmaking. It does have it is a slasher film. Um, but like I said, it, it's got that horrible, horrible um, choice of casting. And I would probably give this film 
a five out of ten. Oh no way! I was expecting that. I thought you were gonna go way lower. You know what yeah. it sounds like? It reminds me of Stage Fright. <laughs> Remember that film from like, like right? I think it was like right around the same time. They were like, no, making... no, 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 <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, like I said, this is very, very low budget. Um, how do I put this? Um, let's say people in their backyard making movies, but oh, just with okay. a better, but with a better camera. Huh. So, but but the effects are actually really well done. Like I, I gave them really good props. That's one reason why I gave the rating a little higher than what I usually would with a, with a film like this, is because the because the effects was actually so well done that I enjoyed that. Um, they it was very very gory. Uh, it, it looked like those scenes would have come straight out of any eighty slasher film. Um, so that's right. one reason why I really liked it. I, mean, I just couldn't get past that first part, man. That first part was was hard to get by. They had an investor, is what it was, and like halfway yeah. through, they were like, "We need to help you out because it's that bad." And they just gave me the camera. <laughs> they're like, "Let let us help you." <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a, it's on Tubi, uh, so you can watch it for free. It's called Fright Flick. So if you guys are into bad acting and want to give it a chance, uh, check it out. Cool, nice. Um, I got one more, um, at least. So I watched a movie called Fresh. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It is actually on Hulu. And it was actually really, really solid. I was very surprised. So it stars, I think it's like Mimi Cave is the director, which is very well known. And it has Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan. And basically what it is, is it's a horror of online dating type horror film. So we start out, we see this girl basically on Tinder swiping and having horrible date after horrible date after horrible date with like men. And one day she's in the supermarket and she's just hanging out. And next thing you know, she sees this man of her dreams basically come in, approaches her, super nice, super well-spoken. And he's basically just, they hit it off. They just start talking and he's, he's cool. So he asks her out, they go on a date. Everything's all as well. They start dating. And over the course of, I'm guessing, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, um, you see the relationship kind of flourish through a montage. And he asks her if she wants to go with him, like, camping. And he talks about, like, as a kid, he used to go to this area that was, like, well-known in their area and how, you know, he used to do this and do that in the camping area. And she was like, you know, I'm cool with it. I think it's great. Let's go. So her, she has a friend that's like, you know, you guys kind of sort of just met. So maybe this is a bad idea. And she's like, well, you know, I really, I really trust, you know, Steve, which is the, the male character. And she's like, okay, well, I mean, make sure you have your phone out. Make sure you keep in contact with me and text me and let me know um, every single day that you're okay. And man, does this take a turn hard right, right out of the gate. You know, instead of like a twist at the end, this movie has a twist at the beginning because basically Steve, which is this like knight in shining army to her, knight in shining army, knight in shining armor rather to her, um, they are out having dinner right before they, they kind of like settle in for the evening and she starts getting kind of like woozy after drinking and she thinks she's just like drunk and she starts feeling very weird 
And she's like, I feel very strange. And Steve just looks at her and says, that's because I just drugged you. And I'm like, I was like, oh, okay. And she starts going in and out. And man, that happens to Mike all the time. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Mike can tell us. And Mike, Mike, well, Mike, you pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Let me get your jello pudding (laughs) pop. Love it. He always tells me to look away. It's weird. (laughs) Chris is always very insistent on making the drinks himself. I know it's odd. Yeah, very odd. Never trust that guy. And never trust Steve because what happens? Oh, man. Is that Nora wakes up, her ass is chained down to literally this. I, I also I, I need to preface this because they're part like the um mansion, I would say, the mansion they were in. It was an actual physical, like multi-million dollar home. So she's thinking, like, this guy is like loaded and rich. Let's you know we're good. And she wakes up literally in the middle of this beautiful like setting shame though. And she's in a room without like any access to the outside world. There's no way out. He has this place locked down good. And essentially what happens is basically Steve walks in. She asks what's going on. And you're like the whole rigmarole. Oh, you know, tell me what's going on. He just comes out and says, listen, I, personally have been kidnapping women for years and chaining them up because there's a market for meat human meat and people will pay an insane amount of money to be able to like consume humans like specifically women and it's almost fetishized because the only people who purchase this meat mostly is like the rich a lot of like older men as well and a lot of the women that he abducts is younger women so he goes as far of making a low-key hello fresh box for these people and i'm not kidding not sponsored hello fresh if you're listening we're definitely in <laughs> so, he literally takes a picture of these girls writes like a whole like biography description and starts you know basically cutting them up piece by piece he's a surgeon by the way so he knows what he's doing. So he puts them like under like this like botched anesthetic that he like injects into them. And then he cuts off piece by piece. It keeps them alive as well. So like they're, wow. they're kept alive because they want fresh meat. The meat has to be super fresh as it goes out. So he may cut off their leg and suture it up and make it like bandage it and like nurse it back to health. And then take that leg, freeze it, and then ask people order it unthaw it and cut it into like nice chef quality strips and send it away with like the biography, the woman's picture and all this information about the meat that he's serving. She tries to find a way out without going into too much detail because this is definitely would give a lot of it away. But basically she develops this relationship with him and she tries to like swoon him to try to like pry for information on how to get out. So Eventually, she learns that there's other people in the house alive with her in other rooms, like other women that he's abducted that's been there. And apparently that they've they've seen with their own eyes him take victims one by one out and, you know, chop them up little by little 
and some of them had already died that they've known of and some of them like were basically half alive at this point so hmm. eventually skipping ahead she tries even meet for the first time in order to like win him over and show interest in his life and she ends up she tries to escape i won't give away the ending but she does try to escape she makes a, a plan she gets to see some of the other people that's chained up with her things go for a crazy turn um i would say that the writing is absolutely fantastic the acting is absolutely fantastic the the story itself while it does have its moments where it kind of gets a little cliched it does have a lot of unique factors to it that makes it interesting enough to stand out so it's definitely one of the stronger films of 2022 that's horror um i would definitely recommend it it is on hulu like i said um i would give it a solid honestly like it's pushing nine. I would give it at least an eight pushing nine. Wow. Yeah, it's, wow. it's very, very original. Kind of like a, a script that could have went in so many negative ways. It really stays pretty true to itself and stays pretty true to originality. And um, like I said, the way that it's presented and the twist and turns, it definitely doesn't lag one, like one second. There's not like an ounce of fat on it. It just zooms right through the whole entire plot and even at the end i was like is this really it because i really could have continued watching it for like another hour like it's that wow. like, intriguing so yeah um that's fresh definitely check it out sure now i watched another movie too guys um so i let off last week and the week before with the resonator and beyond resonator from full moon entertainment and Last week, I found out that there was actually three films in the franchise. So this week, I went ahead and watched the third film. I watched uh, – it's called Curse of the Reanimator. And um, me and Tyler, we had talked a little bit about the process of making, like, a, a film with Herbert West and, like, how they are able to do that. And I guess because from where it's associated with the H.P. Lovecraft stories, and they're all in kind of like public domain – that the character can be used pretty much however you want to, really. Um, so this one really brings out that story of Herbert West as the reanimator um, in this film. And what this one does is it follows the events of the previous film, which was Beyond the Resonator. And it takes the main characters who are still trying to finish making, like they're trying to finish fixing the resonator machine. So they can stop all those creatures from coming into our, our, our world, which is the same machine that was used in the um, Stuart Gordon's From Beyond. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, it's a very similar plot. But this one mixes the two worlds together. So you have the story with the Resonator and From Beyond stories mixed with the Herbert West and the Reanimator stories. So this one has Herbert West finally getting all the serums right he has multiple serums that he's been using and he uses them on actual humans now so there's this whole big subplot with him doing this in the basement and bringing back the dead to life and causing all kinds of havoc with the secondary subplot being the other the main characters are trying to fix this resonator to stop the creatures from coming in the other world um Ultimately, I did not like the part with the resonator machine um, and the story that it had. I was only focused on the Herbert West and the zombies. That seemed to be really, really well done. And it, it almost seemed like the main focus of the like the writing as well. 
but mainly the two stories kind of converge into one and you get a crossover of both of them together having to deal with each other and the zombies have to deal with the creatures coming through and they have to deal with the people working on the resonator has to deal with the zombies back and forth. Um, it was kind of a short film. I believe it was like an only an hour long, if that, but it does kind of wrap up the whole third part of the film franchise, the trilogy. Uh, I think they're only about an hour long each anyways, but um, I feel like if the film would have had more focus on just Herbert West creating the zombies and the serum, it would have been a lot better of a film than having to focus on the from beyond and the resonator story subplot mixed in. But altogether, um, I thought it was a fun watch, uh, entertaining film. Um, I also gave this one um, a five out of 10 as well. Nice. <clears throat> cool. You have anything else, Mike, that you watched? Um, did watch another movie. It's not a horror movie, but more of a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, decently, or uh, yeah, pretty new. Uh, that movie Fall, where they climb the um, the big radio tower. Oh, dude, I've been wanting Have to see guessed? that. So it's it's good and bad. Um, mm-hmm. but I think for this movie, it's all about the experience. You know, I mean, you're like kind of first person viewing like from the tower down which is like if you're sque- if you're not good with heights do not watch this movie um <laughs> i i am not but i still wanted to watch this because i've heard a lot of good reviews on the experience part the acting's not so great but i don't think you're there for the acting when it comes to something like this um a couple, you know, uh, big actors that are in the movie, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, um, that's in the, the Walking Dead. Um, mm-hmm. He's in it. Um, Mason Gooding was in uh, Scream 5. Uh, he, he's in it for a short bit. But it's, it's the acting is just average at best. <clears throat> the experience of them, and it's all based off the radio, or the radio tower. There's, there's not much else into it, but them climbing up, their experience up there, and I won't go into detail after that, but um, it's it's definitely worth the watch because it is fun, it is nerve wracking, and it is um, man. If you have a weak stomach, I, I like I said, I would not watch this. I loved it. I did. Uh, once again, I keep going back to this. Do not focus on the acting part. Focus on the experience of this movie. I really enjoyed it. I gave it a seven out of ten because of the oh, wow. camera views. Of the camera views, um, it it really puts you at place. You know, really puts you in the experience, like you were up there. And the camera, the camera is the shooting of the of the movie was done very well, I believe. But once again, do not go into it for the acting, um, because you're you're going to hate it probably. Uh, but the experience, two thumbs up. Really enjoyed it. So I have a question about this, Mike, because I've seen the trailer. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just really curious. How the hell do they get up there? They climb. It's a <laughs> it's a ladder. It's a ladder. They um. It's really random because an individual passes away, and they want to spread the ashes. And this radio tower is like the highest tower. I don't know, like West Coast or something like that. Don't quote me on that, but it's one of the highest towers in the United States. 
and they wanted to climb to the top of it to uh, spread the ashes of a friend. It was kind of a like a quote unquote pack that they were going to do. So they climb up it and things start to happen and they can't get back down. Like I said, I won't go into detail if you guys are going to watch it, but um, it's to me, <laughs> it. I, I'm just trying to think of the, the correct word to use <clears throat> other than experience, because that's the only thing that comes to mind. You, you just wouldn't put yourself in a situation like that. You know, you're not, I'm not a climber, you know, and things like that, but you want to be in there. You want you want to see it and you want to experience it. And this movie does that. It hits all levels on the, the views, the camera shooting. Like I said, it's done very well. Um, <clears throat> But it misses acting. But once again, it, d- it does not go back onto the acting part. It, it's it's a fun well, ride. It, it's definitely well, a fun ride. I asked you this too, Mike, whenever you told me you would watch this. Um, I, I don't climb either. I've never been rock climbing or anything. But even I know that whenever you are up high or climbing something like that, you don't latch yourself to another individual. <laughs> because if you if you fall... No. There's nothing to catch you because they're going to fall as well. I didn't get that part either. Um, you know, like there's a lot, there's a lot that doesn't make sense with this movie, but then again, it goes back on what I'm saying. Like you can't really, there's, there, there are definitely flaws in the movie, but that's not, that does not be, need to be your main focus for a thriller. It hits all levels on a thriller. Um, I mean, horror as well. I, I mean, it's not really like horror, but it can lead into that because, you know, if you're afraid of heights and if you're afraid of um, of, of things of that nature, yeah, it it's definitely hits hits that topic. But uh, and it's more like a psychological uh, kind of thriller as well, because um, there is a twist mid in the movie, which kind of leaves you like, oh, shit, I can't believe this happened. Like, are you serious? So um, it leaves you questioning what is true and what isn't. But um it's like i said it's a fun rap I, I would definitely watch it it always puts me in the uh, mind of like this big summer um kind of like thriller films where people end up in areas where they just somehow shouldn't have been but still inevitably is facing this so like like i don't know like the shallows 47 meter down it's usually like a, a shark spinoff kind of film that this happens yeah. on so i will say that I do respect the fact that they take this subgenre of like people in weird spaces and they somehow applied it to like, you know, I guess the air, you know, falling from a giant yeah. like yeah. tower. Um, and I think the last time that something this original was made was maybe with like buried with um what is it, Ryan uh, Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Yeah, that kind of puts me like where Buried is like more of like one of those films that's very like suffocated. This seems like one of those movies that's just like that, but wide open. They're experiencing. So I think that is kind of cool that they were able to do something a little bit different than a shark movie. Yeah. And there I mean, was a shark movie with um on Shutter this year. There was a, like a 47 meters down type movie again. So I'm glad to see they didn't go that route. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely different. I, I definitely respect them going, you know, the 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 normal, you know, shark attack, you know, experience. Uh, yeah, it was definitely different. Um, I definitely liked the way well, that, what they were trying for. The sequel is going to have it to where there's going to be a radio tower that's going to be in the middle of the ocean. So when they fall, they land into a bunch of sharks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. And then there's and then there's a tornado with sharks filled and uh sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> That's it'll have to be, it'll have to yeah, be ooh. twice as tall. It'll have to be like in the middle of the ocean. They'll basically just have to like double the ante and then not necessarily like compromise on any of the story at all and then just do the exact same thing they did in fall over again in a different setting. There you go. Fallnado. Yes. Sharknado. Fallnado. <laughs> There's like a hurricane coming in at the same time. <laughs> they just get like slapped in the face like an octopus that came out of like the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. So did you what we'll did you get the rating? What was your rating on that? I gave, I gave it a seven for the experience. Acting, I give it a four. But the yeah. It, it's <laughs> like I like I was gonna say, you just and it's not that it's terribly like shot. I mean the, the camera quality is absolutely amazing. Um but the acting is just not not great. But I don't think you're going into a movie called Fall for the acting. It's it's like the experience ride level. Yeah. Um. To be honest, I mean the way with um the way it's going lately, I I really truly feel like we're at the end of the cycle. Of those kind of movies, like with like Fall, yeah. Forty Seven Meters Down, Buried, all those are kind of like being exhausted. And I don't think Fall was very financially successful at the box office. <clears throat> So I think we are catching the tail end of that. So if you yeah. didn't want to experience fall in theaters, definitely check it out. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it, it fell short. It fell short of being good. If, if fall was a person, it'd be Thomas Lacey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the acting part. <laughs> no, but fun watch. Uh, seven, seven out of ten on the, uh, the experience level. Cool, nice. Well, you know what that um, means, guys. It's almost it? time for the battle of the films. Uh-oh. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. We're going to hear a word from our sponsor. And then we're going to come back and Fright Fight. This week's episode of Fright Fights is brought to you by Audible. Audible is a subscription service that allows you to buy audiobooks that you can listen to on your phone. Right now, I'm listening to The Dead Zone by Stephen King, narrated by Oscar-winning actor James Franco. It's the chilling story of a high school teacher who falls into a coma and wakes up with psychic abilities. Go to audible.com today and claim your 30-day free trial by visiting audible.com forward slash Fright Fights podcast. All right, guys, welcome back, and we are about ready to battle. This week's battle is going to be about horror adaptations. So your Fright Frights crew has actually picked out three different horror films from different adaptations of horror novels in the past. And what we're going to do is we're going to put them all together and we're going to, to fight it out and get a rating to see which one reigns the best. So get ready because we're going to Fright Fight. Oh, fuck. How do we even start with this one? <laughs> Well, that was a good talk. Let's go. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, my gosh. All right, guys. So this week, I am bringing to the table The Pit, also known as Teddy. Um, if you guys listening has not watched this film, let me tell you, you better just get ready because it's absolutely bonkers. Um I have there's so much we could say about it. And the weird thing about it is, is the, the entire point of the film 
is actually not even like really taken into consideration because there's so much other shit going down that you can't really even yeah. like focus your attention on like the the topic at hand. But um, essentially, this is from a 1980 horror novel, and it's by John Galt. Um, it is completely rare. Like you can't read this, you can't buy this. The last time I saw it online, it was literally going for like fifteen hundred dollars on eBay. But it's very, very interesting because while it is like one of those rare horror paperbacks in the 1980s that I would literally pay a hundred bucks just to read and give back because it's that like I love this film that much. Um, I think it's really, really interesting because the actual story itself was originally supposed to be based much closer on this novel. So when we watch The Pit today and like people watch The Pit, it's really interesting because we're not really seeing the true like adaptation we're watching a completely reconstructed version of that original story which is absolutely insane because it was such a like well-received horror novel at the time to see it go completely out of print and completely unavailable today it's kind of crazy um but the story was written by john galt so definitely if you see it out snag it up because it's one of those that you're not going to find again and then send it to me so because i want to read it but um anyway so the director and the screenwriter to this day says that the pit, let me get this quote correct, B-list garbage. They literally said, like, okay, so Lou Lehman, or Lou Lerman, I should say, the director, and then um, it was actually written from a script by Ian Stewart, both referred to their film as absolute garbage. They do not like it. They don't like talking about it. And if you have the Blu-ray, it's really interesting because you can kind of go into detail with the screenwriter about why he hates this film. So what he did was he initially sat down and he created this character that um, his name is Jamie. And he was supposed to be an eight or nine year old little boy, um, not adolescence yet, still in the emergent stages of kind of like, you know, coming into himself, not sexually attracted or anything. So it was written to be kind of a quirkier, not quite as like sexually charged screenplay that was going to be released. And obviously what we get is the exact opposite. And he says that the fact that they casted, I think his name was Sammy, um, was the actor. The fact they casted him at the age of 14 to play a character that's supposed to be nine years old and his voice had already changed. And he's obviously not nine years old because, you know, of course, you can hear and see visually that he looks much older than what it's supposed you know, the character was supposed to be. So um, they absolutely have written off the movie. Um, I know that Lou Lerman, the director, hates the screenwriter. Um, the screenwriter hates the director. No one talks about it anymore. It's completely just off the books, completely critically and financially in shatters. No one liked it when it came out. It was actually written off as a canoe exploitation film. Uh, even though it was filmed in America, it's like one of the only canoe exploitation films from the era that was actually not filmed in Canada or Quebec. It was filmed in America. So that was another really interesting factor about it for some background. But essentially, this is the story of an it's an absolutely bonker story, too, of a, a boy named Sammy, not Sammy, um, Jamie. Mm -hmm. And Jamie basically discovers this pit in his backyard that is filled with these creatures. And 
they're called like what is it? I know they're trogs, but they have like another word for them. Trollologs. Trollologs. Yeah, trollologs. And it's Christmas time, bitch. Um. So anyway, basically, he doesn't have any friends. The first scene, by the way, before I get too far away from that, the first scene I love because it feels very Halloween. It has a fall vibe. It's perfect. But that's whenever he discovers this pit. Later on, we learn that he has no friends. He only finds refuge in this, like, teddy bear. And I guess delusionally, he's able to, like, understand and hear this bear as a best friend. Almost like an imaginary friend, but in the bear. And it's a very... I don't even know how to describe this film because really... It's a film about that, yes, and it is bonkers in that aspect, yes, but it's also this weird, like, perverted, I guess you would say, kind of film. Yeah. Um, my There's absolute... like three stories going on at the same time in this movie. Yes, and the thing is, I it think jumps around be... a lot, yeah. Well, the troll logs, I feel like, is supposed to be the primary story, because here's, here, okay, here's an interesting thing. The Obviously, the story's called The Pit. So the movie is supposed to be focusing on the Trogs. The book was called Teddy. So it's supposed to be focusing on the teddy bear, you know, psychologically messing with a young boy's mind. And then in the story, we end up getting this perverted kind of like sexually charged film. So I don't know what the hell's going on with it and what they were trying to do. (laughs) I just know it is glorious. I have so much fun every single time I watch this. Um, my personal favorite scene um, is the ones that has to do with basically the boy trying to get people to lure into the pit. And there's a specific <laughs> scene that I want to mention with this like Karen type character. And he like takes her wheelchair and goes <laughs> yes. like full ass <laughs> sprint towards the, towards the thing. And this grandma is going, and he's just pushing her along yes. right into the pit for the trogs. Now, not getting ahead of there, myself again. Go ahead, Chris. There's Okay, so it's a montage of like four or five <laughs> yes. different people that he's luring into the pit. Yeah. And they are playing like Monty Python type music overlaying with that sequence. And these people are so out of tune with what they're doing that they just randomly just walk into a giant hole in the ground. Nobody would like they would have to see it. They have to see it and they just are so oblivious to it. They just walk right into it or jump into it or get, you know, pushed right into it. But it's the fact that they are being lured into it with this Monty Python music overlaying it just makes it so ridiculous. <laughs> I love it. And here's the thing. Um the trogs kind of for anybody who hasn't seen it, they're almost reminiscent of like I would say like a little bit of the gate mixed with like a little bit of critters mixed with like a little bit of like maybe like ghoulies gremlins basically any kind of like there's a kind of like creature flicks that's like that they're very reminiscent of that and it's kind of interesting to see a film that's made exclusively kind of based on other films which is I think what they were trying to do because right around the same time this came out was whenever that was really big these like kind of puppet like puppetry and the creatures themselves so that is very interesting to see that there but jamie tries not to like it's kind of interesting because 
Teddy's telling him to do these things. He doesn't really want to kill anybody, but his mom only left him so much money and he went to the butcher to like try to find like, you know, meat to feed the trogs. He runs out of money. So what does he do? He tries, you know, to fucking bring a cow and the cow's not coming to the trogs. So next thing you know, he's just starting to kill people. And that montage that Chris is talking about is absolutely one of the best montages in cinema history. It's so bad but good and it's so goofy but it's also so terrifying it it doesn't make any sense because the rest of the movie <laughs> is played very, straight yeah. mm-hmm. it's 100% played straight from all every aspect except for that montage that's the only scene that has that comical aspect to it okay I'll be honest though too I, I was personally laughing at a scene that may have been considered to be inappropriate by most but it was hilarious to me whenever he goes outside the window of that one woman's house. Forgot her name in the movie. The librarian. The librarian. Yeah, I forgot her name. But um, she's she's like basically like I got your daughter captive and I'm gonna kill her and I'm like out here <laughs> watching you. You strip right now and she's like what what and he was like strap kind of thing and she just starts like taking her clothes off while he has a pair of binoculars watching her i'm like why would you just think randomly that this guy that's calling is going to actually kill your daughter if you don't strip for them i don't know i think it's like absolutely goofy and funny and um not to mention another scene as well that a 14 year old boy was in the bathtub and the babysitter um sandy is sitting there like bathing him it's like yeah my mom always usually bathes me and she's like well if it's what your mom did i'll do it and he's like, oh, and he's like all into it and stuff. It's kind of like one of those like weird kind of like quirky, but very like wrong kind of things you'd watch in cinema. So it's like one of those things you shouldn't be watching, you feel like, but you also just can't look away. You know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. such, it's so strange. It, it, I, I don't know I how just to like put how it. he, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go. No, no. I just like how he uh, was kind of slick and how he sent uh, nude photos of women to the librarian. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> like what? Well, uh, I mean, it it's a very odd movie, but it it's so likable. It's it, first watching this, I'm like, what the hell am I watching? Like, w- what is going on? Um, but and then the relationship with the teddy bear, but. If you don't laugh at the woman getting pushed in the pit by in the wheelchair, then you're <laughs> you're you're a, you're you're not a human. I mean, it's it's very it's a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. At first, starting it out, I didn't like it, but um, overall, it was it was a good watch. I I was shockingly taken by it. Um, but the uh, it, it's it's just it jumps around a lot, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys feel about it. We yeah, gotta talk about the teddy bear. Um, so, yeah. So what? Uh, okay. So the teddy bear, the part with the teddy bear is, I, I I read it as being psychological because the voice of the teddy bear, he hears the, the teddy bear talk back to him. But yeah. if you listen, it's his voice. It's mm-hmm. like he's hearing the teddy bear talk because it's his voice. So it's all psychological. Yeah. But, but there is one scene. <laughs> where the babysitter comes into the room to clean the room and she sees the teddy bear sitting on the bed by itself 
and she looks and turns and walks away and the teddy bear turns its head and stares at her as it as and moves its head around to watch her leave and that's where it doesn't make any sense to me wonder if that was like a little I wonder what that if that was like was kind of resembling the boy you know i mean it's really you know like wonder if the teddy bear wasn't real and it was uh uh the boy you know and the boy thought he was the teddy bear like it was all psychological but every time you saw the teddy bear it was the boy does that make sense like it was no, actually she, him she, she references the teddy bear that he uses the teddy bear and she even says it doesn't gotcha. make sense okay. that he would it doesn't make sense that a boy his age would be looking at those type of magazines and have a teddy bear at the same time. Well, also, Chris, a boy his age wouldn't be throwing people in a pit getting fed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair. <laughs> well, keep in mind, Ian Stewart wrote the script to have to be an eight-year-old boy. So this character hmm. is supposed to be eight or nine years old. It just so happens that the actor playing him was casted way too old and that's kind of why it gets that weird kind of i don't Mm. know tension and vibe to me i do feel like you know the teddy bear does have a emotional connection to the boy jamie because just the age he's supposed to be at is really what it is i think that it's kind of showing that weird kind of moment of transition from like boyhood to adulthood where he doesn't have those friends and he kind of like finds that refuge in the bear so i feel like he's almost like an imaginary friend to him is how I saw it. Or even like psychological, like Chris said, I think that of course there's a lot of inconsistencies with the story. It's definitely not something they sat down and was like, well, you know, let's think about how we're going to do this. I think there are plot holes in terms of that, um, the bear itself, but you know, it's just so it's so forgivable at that point because it's so like bonkers and nuts that you just like go with it. Because it's absolutely yeah. just insane. <laughs> yeah, there's so much stuff that goes on that you you have to like some part of it. Like even if you don't like the part with the trial logs, you like the part with the, uh, the 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 boy going around just randomly pushing people in the pit. If you don't like that, you yeah. like the teddy bear aspect of it. It's just there's so many different things to like or dislike from it that or you can't just hate all of it. <laughs> <laughs> there's something for everybody. <laughs> I love it so much. It, it's it's such an enjoyable film. I could just literally just keep talking and talking and talking about it. But the main question is, guys, do you agree with the director? Is it B movie garbage, or is it an absolute overlooked horror gem? To me, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe it didn't have its audience at the time. And obviously being a canoe exploitation film, which was those low budget Canadian films that was adapted from you know American or novelizations didn't find an audience at the time. But I think now it's like one of those super, super underrated horror movies that hardly no one's ever watched. So to me, it's definitely not at the time. Yes. B movie garbage in 2022. I don't think it really is. There's something really, really almost weirdly like endearing about it. Like it has a very yeah, fun kind of like popcorn, hang out with your friends kind of approach to like film. So it it's goofy, but it's good. It's definitely an oddball film. You know, it's, it's so odd though. You, you, you really enjoy it. And uh, I was pleasant, pleasantly surprised with 
like, you know, how much I did enjoy this on the quality of the movie. But kind of like you said, I think it might have just came out at the wrong time because I enjoyed it and I didn't mind the bad quality of the, the film. Um, I just thought where it jumped around a lot and uh, the comics, the comical side of this as well was was great. Um, I, I really, really over, overly, all, I mean, overall enjoyed the film. Um, I still reference back to the woman in the wheelchair. I God, <laughs> please forgive me, God, but it was so funny. It was just, and the and the relationship, like I said, with with the teddy bear, um, it it was almost you kind of felt sorry for the boy because he had no friends. And he was picked on, but then again, he was kind of a badass as well. So, uh, oh yeah, it was like a it was like an underdog, like root for the underdog, which was the boy, but at, at the same yeah. time. Did you think that people were like overly mean to him? Oh yeah, they deserved it. They deserved to be fed to the, uh, you know, the the, the pit. But, I um, think he was viewed as kind of like, oh, he's just the the town, you know, a, a young boy, like he's just a kid. It's sort of well, all like, first, oh, he's I really thought, I thought the kid, I I don't know the direction they were going with it. I thought he might have been autistic at first, you know, just watching it. Mm-hmm. But then again, was he just bullied in general or or you what know, was the approach on this? I thought the same thing, Mike, that there might have been something to it where he was uh, – something was wrong with him. But yeah. going back with what Tyler was saying about the age difference where it was supposed to be like a nine-year-old boy or an eight-year-old boy, and they cast yeah. a 14-year-old. So you're seeing a 14-year-old. The dialogue was written for a nine-year-old. So it's right. really odd whenever it comes from a 14-year-old. So it doesn't sound right because the dialogue wasn't written for that age. That's exactly. well put. I can see that. I, yeah, that's really well put. Yeah, they said it, the original just... story was basically, whenever they like first wrote the story with the nine-year-old, apparently it was supposed to come off much more darker and psychological. And it was supposed to be more geared towards like a boy and his teddy bear that like talks mm. to him. And somehow from that, it morphs into what we get now, a 14-year-old cast in an 8-year-old's role. And that's kind of like why I think it has that odd kind of quality of, you know, a, a nine-year-old boy dropping his napkin on the floor so we get a glimpse up the, you know, like the babysitter's like dress or his mom's dress or whatever. <laughs> it's just kind of like, okay. even for a nine-year-old, it's kind of weird. So I don't know. So are, are we going to talk about the ending? Well, yeah, we we definitely can. That's like the one. I, I want to hear your kind of like opinion on the ending. Yeah, go okay, with the last. So, so the ending is okay. So he lets the trawl logs out of the hole, and they go around. They start killing people around the town, mm-hmm. and it's it's a little fun sequence that you get with them attacking people here and there. But because of everything that happened. This 14-year-old boy decides to plant all of the leftover material, like the wheelchair, the football, and the dress from the little girl, that everybody that had died, into the trunk of this guy's car. So that way he gets framed for all the murders around town. And then he gets sent off somewhere else to live, like family or an adoption agency or something i don't really remember exactly what that was but he traveled somewhere took a suitcase to stay there for a while 
and they are like, oh, here, you should go play with this little girl we have that, we, that, that lives here on, on, on the area. So he goes to play with her, and she chases him to a field. And in that field is another pit. And I was kind of confused because it's the exact same pit from his pit. But, I mean, is this one have the trawl logs in it too? Like, what what's going on with this ending? Is it supposed to be set up for a sequel or, or, or what? I was really confused on it. You bring up some good points. I'm actually thinking on that with you. Um, I think part of it comes from just the fact that it was like such a low budget, you know, exploitation film at the time that they really didn't think that through. That's honestly what I think that they um, what they intended with that. So I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Do you think it was like what Chris was saying? Or do you think it was just like one of those like weird no, like? No, I, I'm. I mean, Lax kind of hit it. I, I will definitely agree with Lax on that. Um, it, I just keep going back. It's not so much on the ending; it's just the whole movie as a, in general, was, mm. was odd. But I really enjoyed the oddball of this movie. And like I said, you almost kind of rooted for the character, the little boy, um, in a way. Um, but I, overall, um, what were your all's? What was your what was your rating of this lax? I mean, I know Tyler, you really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy this movie? I I enjoy it to some aspect. I, I think the the beginning of the film, uh, the part where he's dealing with like the the babysitter and and all that stuff with Jamie, uh, and the teddy bear, even to that extent, is a little slow paced. It's almost dreamlike. Like it it almost feels like you're having a, a weird dream. Um, so it's a little slow. But once it gets to the part where the trawl logs start attacking people, uh, the montage sequence is definitely an added bonus for that. Um, it's a really enjoyable film all around because of it, but I, I feel it starts off a little slow. But I always find myself wanting to rewatch it later on. So I, I gave it a 6 out of 10. All right. I was gonna say I really I really enjoyed this. Um, I I ended up giving it a seven out of ten, which was shocking because going into this I didn't really I read I read a little bit of the details and some of the reviews just to kind of get an idea of what to expect. But um, reading some of the reviews, I was like, man, this is gonna be awful. But um, I really enjoyed this. God, kind of a comic, low budget cult classic maybe i guess i, I guess you could oh, yeah. title it that but um i i really enjoyed it i gave it a seven out of ten holy shit nice. <laughs> oh i saw what you did there <laughs> I, chris was like waiting for that moment to go he's like hopefully he was, somebody dude. else gives a good score so i can say holy Gosh, shit <laughs> holy i've been waiting for that since the time i watched it <laughs> so every aspect fantastic it gets five points easily for just the trial the troll logs and the weird mispronunciations throughout of the trogs so five points for that extra point for the um kind of like cool little shower sequence there and then an extra two points for just being absolutely bonkers so eight points for me eight out of ten absolutely love this movie 
Wow. Yes. Wow. I love this film. So that's an an eight, a seven, and a six. So um Oh, scratch out. I give this a one. I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what is that? Is that 21? Oh, let's see. So 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 21. 21. Tyler, you are in the the lead right now with 21 points for The Pit. Who would have thought that The Pit would end up with a 21-point rating? I really liked it. Really liked it. Anybody that literally comes across that book, I am telling you, I will give you 20 bucks just to read it. It is not available anywhere. It's literally 1500 bucks. The last one sold on eBay. And I have been looking for that book for like eight years. I just want to read how it translates as a nine-year-old because obviously the book was written with the nine-year-old aspect in mind and it was written completely differently than the script was. So I'm really, really wanting to see how it kind of like compares in contrast to what they actually did with it. So please check out Pitt. Send me the book. It's amazing. That's it. All right, guys. For my pick for Fright Fights for the horror book adaptation, I chose uh, – well, it's based off an author who is not very well known. Uh, nobody's really heard of him before. I think his name is Stephen King. Who? <laughs> Never heard of him. Uh, but the film I chose <laughs> – <laughs> the film I chose is uh, Stephen King's Sometimes They Come Back. And it's about a guy who takes a teaching job in his hometown only to become part of a nightmare of these group of gang members or bikers or something from the 1950s era that comes back to haunt him in the future. Uh, so back in the day, he was uh, – him and his brother were traveling uh, in a train tunnel – and they caused an accident in the tunnel where those group of bikers died. And nowadays they are coming back to haunt him. And slowly but surely they take places in his classroom from where he's a teacher. They become the students and they start tormenting him. Um, and at first you think he's going crazy and you don't know if he's actually really, really seeing these things happen or if it's like, oh, if it's all in his mind. And uh, then you learn about um, how they are wanting to redo the scene from the tunnel um, one last time and try to take him uh, down to hell with them. So it's actually a really cool story. Uh, Stephen King plays it very well. And you really get the feeling of like that 1950s, like biker gang and, um, one thing that I really like about this movie is the look, just the look of the 1950s, the the whole slick back hair and the, the switch blades that they use and the way they talk and everything. It really felt like they jumped back to the 1950s and filmed it. Um, then you have then you have the aspect of them coming back in modern time. And I really like that part of it, too. It really blended together that look of the 1950s in the modern time zone really fit well um i thought that the uh the story with them one by one filling up the class the classroom so they have to kill somebody and they take their spot so that hence the title sometimes they come back and this the teacher norman uh, who's played by tim matheson is trying to figure out who they are really why they're back and how to stop them again um 
I've always liked this movie. It's a little slow at times, but I think all in all, it's a very well-made and very fun film. Did you, did you guys like this movie? Have you seen it before? You know, it was one of those yeah. films that I've watched before, and it's kind of funny because I always forget there's multiple sequels to it. So it's really funny to me that it's just like sometimes they come back, and then they have a one that's like called Sometimes They Come Back Again. And then they have a third one, and I forgot what the title was, but it was something stupid, like literally, like it's like sometimes they come back for revenge or something. I don't know. It's, yeah, the third one's called Sometimes They Come Back for More. For more. <laughs> so it's just like one of those things that's kind of like really, it's hard to like keep track of which ones you've watched because I always got them confused as a kid. But the only one that I actually have ever watched was the one that we watched this week. And it's kind of interesting because I think I watched it literally. I may have been like 11 or 12 whenever I first had seen this and I have not watched it since. So now sitting here many years later, um, it was kind of like interesting to actually go back. Cause I remember it really kind of creeped me out whenever I initially had watched it, but this time it had kind of like a different, I had like a different response to it. And one thing that always surprises me about it though, is that it's like made for TV because that's something I did not know. I thought it actually came out and had a theatrical release, but apparently it was like straight to television, which was interesting because this was actually, I have read Night Shift. So this is actually one of the short stories in the novel Night Shift. And it was meant to be in Stephen King's Cat's Eye. And that's when they did all the adaptations of, you know, the 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 adaptations of Night Shift was in Cat's Eye. But they held this one aside, did not recognize that it actually was like going to be a separate film or anything, and they made it for TV, which I think is really weird. I Speaking of the film, I did think that it had a lot of really, really fun moments. Had like kind of like these like sweet tone moments as well that you really weren't expecting. And I really like the scene. Like one of my favorite scenes is one that I I, I really had like respect for the way they filmed this was the teacher, what's his name? Um, the main character in the movie, Tim Matheson, or as yes. yeah, 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 yeah. The actor is Tim Matheson. The character's name is Norman. 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 Yes. I, Norman. I always forget his name. I don't know why. But whenever he's actually in his classroom, and the one dude comes back, and he's like has a like resemblance, and he's like, "Wait, I know this guy." And yeah. That's when they started coming back one at a time. I really, really think that's really cool. I love the last scene, even though it was kind of convoluted at the end. Um, I thought it was overall pretty solid um, from what I've seen. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie as well. Um, I thought the whole, um, I thought it was very like kind of creative how like, you know, one student dies and then one of the ex, you know, bullies slash demons come back. I mean, what are they? Are they a demon? A demon like... I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm assuming it's a demon coming back, but uh, I, I like that. Um, I will agree with Tyler. I thought it was really cool. There was that, the expression on um, the teacher's face was like, man, I've seen you somewhere before, you know, where and, and it's, it's kind of like goosebumps chills when that, 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 that scene happens in the movie. Um, and, and it's almost like, you know, it's kind of sad to where, you see that relationship with the, the brothers and, you know, um, and at the end, it kind of gives you a little like, you know, the ups, you're, you're a little upset at the end towards like where he has to let his brother go. Like he wants him to come with him. 
to I'm assuming like heaven or you know after the they finish the bad guys off at the end I guess uh, however you want to say that but it it's really done well for that time frame um I like the the slick back hair I like the 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 greaser look I guess um it 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 was a really cool I thought fun you know movie um I, but I really highly enjoyed this Another good watch, I feel. There was a there's a part in the movie too that you were talking about stuff that gives you chills. Is it, it's very like very light moment for it, but there's a scene where uh, all the characters every time that they fill a, a spot in the room uh, for the teacher's spot, they keep saying, "Oh, we have another student they transferred from some town." Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they named some town, and so he's Center. trying to figure out where this town is. Yes, exactly, and, and then all of a sudden he's like that they go and visit somebody from the past, like an old sheriff back from the fifties. And they're like, it, you know, I, I couldn't find this high school. Where's this high school at? And they're like, it's because it's not a high school. It's a cemetery. Cemetery. Like, yes. For mm-hmm. that. Every time that I, that I hear him say that, like I get chills just thinking about it, you know? Yeah. That actually gave me chills again. Just thinking about it. I love it. Yeah. It, it was a cool. Yeah. Yeah, it had some very like um interesting dialogue moments. Like really, because the thing is, is it wasn't visually scary. Like I didn't find much to it that was like visual. That I mean, it did no. have some reasonable effects. Like the effects work was you know pretty okay, especially for TV. Um, it definitely was not overly gory or overly like in your face scary. It was definitely one of those films that used and relied on like storytelling to really get the horror point across to make it a horror movie because it low-key like yes it was horror but it definitely was like one of the it wasn't psychological it's kind of hard to put your finger on it i would say it's it's kind of supernatural because the greaser zombies yeah i guess you call them yeah yeah um, they're ghosts they're ghosts you, they're ghosts you, yeah. you know like it's almost like a good bedtime scary story to tell to somebody you know like you could you it's like a campfire. Somebody was telling, like, telling this story. It'd be a good listen. So, I can get that vibe. It's not so much of a horror, scary, mm-hmm. but like gory yeah. side. But it's very um, kind of. They should like, make it a book. Um, yeah, yeah, right. That's um, what it is. Yeah, it really yeah. should be. A it's book. a good book. You know, like if they made a book out of this, it was. It would be a good read. <laughs> Uh, one thing I really like too is how they they kind of reference like the Twilight Zone movie, uh, like the Dan Aykroyd scene uh, where they're in a car and they're like, "You want to see something really scary?" And he's like, "Do the face, do the face." And then the guy will turn yeah. sideways and turn back, and he has the creepy zombie face where they were burned from the car from the uh, the train wreck. Um, always really liked that. I thought that was really fun, and they do it a few times in the movie and. And that's my favorite. The favorite part of the effect is when they change into their zombie ghost dead form or whatever you want to call it. I always like yeah. that part. You know what part I loved is the actual like incident scene where they're like, "We're gonna, we're gonna kill them," and they're trying to like run away from the train. I have never experienced or witnessed a train crash in my entire life in like real life, but. I'm wondering if your car would actually just instantaneously explode into like an absolute just atom bomb style of like explosion because it really they they I mean, blew that sucker up. You yeah. saw it happen. Is it? 
Uh, but I mean, it, it, that's those are the moments that kind of made it endearing. I mean, if you don't, if you if you hate the plot, if you hate the acting, if you hate the story, the least that I think you're going to like is those moments of like sheer like chilling dialogue pieces and kind of like the fun little playfulness to like the effects to like maybe like I don't know the heart of the story, which is all tied together at the end. So there is something to definitely there's something to definitely go back to um with the film overall. Even if you even if you hated everything about it, there's still that one thing somebody's gonna like. And that's yeah. kind of like what I like. And the dialogue yeah. was it was so well well written from Stephen King's point of view because you have dialogue that sounds like any other Stephen King film. Like I, I can picture like Fred Gwynn saying stuff from like Pet Cemetery in this movie mm-hmm. as well. Like there's a moment to where they actually do the the title drop in the, like the name of the movie where they're like, sometimes when people die and their, their soul isn't in heaven, it's not in hell, it's stuck in purgatory. Well, sometimes they come back and it's like th- that whole sequence there where mm-hmm. he like name drops the title, like it just felt like something that was from any other Stephen King movie and you could have just took it right out of there and dropped it in this film. Chris, Sometimes dead Dang. is better. <laughs> I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> but yeah, this I mean, that's what I mean. Like this film has that Stephen King charm. Like it had it, it wasn't wasn't written by who was this? You know who it was written by? Was it wasn't written by Stephen King though? But the script was it? Was it? Um. Well, I mean, it's the story is it's based from St- Stephen King's book, but. Yeah. As far as like the the script itself, I'm not sure who wrote the script for it. Um, it was directed by Tom McLaughlin, who did uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's he he did uh, One Dark Night as well. I think that was another one. I think that's the only horror films he ever really did. He didn't really do too many horrors. He really didn't do too many films at all. But I think my favorite one's definitely Part Six. Um, it was that one's a that one's a fun one, but. Um, I think it's interesting though because if you think about it, I I don't think that Stephen King wrote the script, but it does have that Stephen King charm. So I'm assuming I haven't I haven't read Day Shift in a very long time or Night Shift, sorry, um, in a very long time. But if I can remember correctly, I feel like they may have taken some of those quotes out of the book directly into it because that it, it's very faithful to like the source material. It seems like it seems like they are definitely quoting King many times throughout because it has that King kind of charm to it with the with the way the dialogue is spoken so although it's not like a stephen king written film it definitely you could tell it is an adaptation of his work is what i'm trying to say so it's it's one that is very fun for that yeah and there's a lot of things to like about it from the part of the zombified ghost uh to the part to where the guy they, they they hide out in the church and one of the ghosts steps into the church and like the second his foot crosses the church he catches on fire yeah that was cool um but just the idea itself the story idea itself is just fun to think about like you could have like it's just a creepy idea you know sometimes they come back and it's just a it's just a creepy thought um but all around i've always enjoyed the film uh, it's one of those movies where when somebody brings up Stephen King, I, I immediately think of sometimes they come back. And with that being said, 
I highly recommend this movie with a high rating of 8 out of 10. Oh, wow. Did you guys, before we give final ratings too, did you guys kind of feel a slight, it's very slight, but like a very small tinge of like it? Yes. It? I could see that, yeah. It felt yeah, kind of yeah. it-like. Yeah, I, because of the to- the time jumps between the 1950s and, and the modern time. Mm-hmm. And then plus two, if you remember in it, the uh, one of the bullies from it is like locked up or whatever, and they go mm-hmm. and visit him. And they bring him along. Well, they do the same thing in this one where, like, one of the survivors of the Greaser gang uh, is still alive. So they go and find him and they try to bring him back to, like, to have the whole gang at the train the train, uh, train tracks. Yeah. So it's very, very reminiscent of Stephen King's It. Yeah, I thought so. As yeah. I was watching, I was like, man, this is, like, eerily similar to the plot of It in a weird way without, like, Pennywise, obviously, but... Yeah, um, I would have to come very close to Chris. I'm, uh, I'm probably gonna give it a seven. I think I'll go seven. I uh, oh. I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with a seven as well. Um, it it was done very well. <clears throat> great, great story to it. Definitely a good example of what it compares to. It does give that it feel. Um, but yeah, I really, I mean, all the movies that I watched this time around, I've really enjoyed. I love this. I definitely give it a seven as well. So that puts me in the lead then. I got 22 points, bitches. 22. Well, I give myself a 20. I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm changing my uh, score to a one. Yeah. Yeah. I hated the movie. Put that on record. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we hate Stephen King. We hate cinematography of the film. I hate the script. I don't like the fact that sometimes they come back. Why can't they all the time come back? I don't get it. Yeah. One. Two. Five. Have you seen the uh, the X version of this movie? It's called Sometimes They Come. Oh. (laughs) Um. Well, uh, wait, Mike has. Mike has. He Uh, said, "Actually, yeah, I'm actually actually very familiar with that." Wait a minute. I'm. I'm putting the movie on pause right now. You guys are interrupting, so uh, <laughs> you should see the scene that I put in pause. It, it's a, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> oh, hey. Hey. So right. I watched and picked um, World War Z. Um, man, there, there's just a lot of good that I have to say about this movie. There's a lot. It picks up fast. It's very. It's a very fast-paced movie. Um, I mean, the action starts right away within the first ten minutes of the movie. Watching it, um, I think Chris and I were talking about this. As a father, you put yourself in this situation when Brad Pitt um, is is literally they're they're just taking their children to school like a normal day, and and there's an outbreak. Uh, they don't really know what's happening. Um, there's a, there, there's police, you know, uh, there's, there's something going around They're They're basically parked in a, um, in, or they're stuck in traffic and it's chaos. And, um, you know, Brad Pitt has his wife and his children in his car. And it's, like I said, it's absolute chaos. And <clears throat> it just starts right away with a zombie outbreak. I mean, plain and simple, bam, there's nothing leading up to it. It just 10, first 10 minutes. Um, there's really no, t- no need to like misunderstand this movie. It's kind of an action horror movie. 
Um, it, it does give you an eerie, you know, it's not, it's not your typical zombie movie. Like it's eerie, empty city. It's like full run zombie, um, kind of beast mode zombies, super fast. They're running. Um, they're quick. Uh, they're pretty intelligent to an extent as well. Um, but then again, the whole movie details with this X, um, I guess he's like an, I don't know if he's an ex-Marine, like maybe an ex-United Nation employee, something along the, along, along the lines like that. Yeah, of, I think he used uh, to like work it. for the UA or something. Yeah, something like that. And um, and basically he's he's in the middle of a zombie uh, pandemic. There is a um, outbreak that, uh, I mean, these zombies are just rushing through you know, uh, police, uh, armies, the government, and it's threatening to destroy all of humanity. And, um, you know, life for Brad Pitt's character was all like kind of common, just your normal family. And all of a sudden it's just uprooted with these, this, this mysterious infection outbreak that these humans are being overpopulated, turning into zombies. And, um, it's just really well done. I really, I'm not a huge fan of Brad Pitt, but I really enjoyed him in this movie. I thought he did very well. And it's not your typical like machine gun shooting zombies. Like it's more of a kind of a science side of zombies. They're trying to figure out what originated and how this was, how this started. So it's a different take on, on, on the zombie side and uh, trying to figure it out because it was a, um, was it it was it was like a just a virus that spread you know um and they're trying to in Brad Pitt's quest on this movie is trying to find out where this originated from where it started from and uh if there's a if there's a a way to saving like what's left of the human race and um you know he has to leave his family and children uh behind to to pursue that and uh it's kind of one of these things you're rooting it for him you're rooting for Brad Pitt's character as a father and as a husband and then at the same time you know you're on the edge of your seat to find out what did cause this and it kind of puts yourself in there there are some very scary parts and it's more like you kind of put yourself in the movie like you are being chased. I feel like it's kind of an edge of your seat type of watch of a movie of an experience. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the, I guess like the investigation side of this because Brad's trying to investigate uh, and, and find a, a cure for this. Um, but at the end, it, there's no like grenade or there's nothing that just blows these zombies up. I love the cre- creativity of what prevents the zombies from attacking. And it's basically like, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it, it's an illness. You know, it's an illness. It, the zombies don't attack uh, people that are ill, that are like, in, um, in, that have cancer or, or to that extreme. So they bypass them because they see them as weak. There's nothing that they can take from these individuals and, uh, you know, move on forward. I mean, they're not strong, I guess, strong individuals that they can consume and control, you know, um, they're weak and they're dying and the zombies see that. So they don't want to, you know, take over their, take, take those, take those individuals over. Um, so I thought that was so creative and, um, I love the ending of this movie. I absolutely love the ending of the movie. 
where Brad Pitt was in the hospital um, and he injected himself with a virus. Um, and, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know what was it a was it a like a form of cancer or was it like a form of some type of disease or something mm-hmm. that made him, you know, not not a um, not a target, I guess. Yeah, but, I don't uh, know exactly what the disease was he, that he ingest, injected himself with, but I did see at one point one of the bottles that he's looking through. Mm-hmm. It does say H one N one. I remember seeing that, but I don't remember seeing anything else. But such a, I think monumental like part of this movie is when he injects himself with whatever he injected himself to make him sick, not wanted by the zombies. The door slid open that he was like closed off into a room and the zombie walks in and kind of sniffs him and just kind of stares at him like, damn, you won. Like, I, you know, he, he was there for Brad's character, but when he injected him, he was like, wanted nothing to do with him. And the part that he was walking from, I guess, the the connection to the hospital from, I guess, this this one side to the other and it was filled with zombies how he just walked right in the middle of the zombies and they just bypassed they ran they ran past him and i thought that was so such a powerful scene um i i really 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 enjoyed this as one of my top favorite zombie movies so um yeah i remember i was was talking to you about it mike i was uh, as soon as I started watching it, because I had never seen this is a first time watch for me, uh, I was watching the opening like twenty minutes sequence where it just you know it just starts right off with stuff, and I, it was really intense. I, I pictured myself in that role, and if I if that was me driving down the interstate in a big city, you know, and all of a sudden this stuff starts happening where cars are wrecking into you and everything like that, and you yeah. have your kid you have your kid with you, what do you do? Like, yeah. and I think, I think it did a really good job of, I mean, there's a moment too, where he gets out of the car and all these people are trying to like drive away and they're wrecking into him and he's trying to pick his kid out of the car seat and like carry him. And then like the other kid that his wife is carrying, they drop her and he has to pick yeah. her up as well. And then like run up yep. a flight of stairs. And it was just like this really intense moment where I was like, man, I couldn't do that. Like that's, I was on the edge of my seat every time worrying about the kids. Like, I could not stop worrying about them. It's how intense this scene was. And maybe it's just because I have a kid myself, but I was really into it. And it does slow down after that sequence, after about the 20-minute marker, it slows down a bit. But then it just picks right back up after that again. But I think it slows down to to kind of calm the storyline down. And I thought it was so creative as well. There's a part in the in the movie where the zombies are very, very intelligent create a, a ladder of their own bodies to up to to crawl up over a, a, a wall, which was like super creative. Um, I just thought it was a well a well-made movie shot, I thought personally beautifully and it kept you really like a uh, action for with I mean it was darker. it was a darker you know uh, zombie movie. but I loved it because it wasn't just your fire them up, shoot them, dead zombies, you know, eventually the zombies will win it kind of gave you hope at the end of the movies like the human race had a chance but at the same time it didn't give you the ending like humans did win 
it kind of left you questioning, like, is there going to be another one? I wish I wish I wish there was because I would definitely watch it. Um, but I really highly enjoyed this movie. I really highly enjoyed Bra- uh, Brad Pitt's character. Uh, me personally, I gave this movie an eight. I loved it. Well, for a modern zombie movie, I don't think it was bad. Um, I'm more interested in like 10 minutes into the movie, the scene where like all hell breaks loose and the guy who's like, you all need to get out of here kind of thing. Like the, the cop on the motorcycle and he just gets ran over by this like 18 wheeler, which is like terrifying at the moment. But my question is, is like, how did he like bypass the other like 200 cars that was behind him? And the 18 wheeler somehow like flew above all these cars just to go down and like knock this guy off. I, I, I like literally that was like the funniest part for me. But as a modern um, zombie movie, yes, it was entertaining. I'm much more interested in the story that the making of this film has. Are you guys familiar with all the things that was going on during the making of this? So, no. essentially, no. people were pissed, first of all, because the film literally was delayed like six times. And no one really understood why they kept pushing it off. Paramount um, was like, kept like, they was like, oh, you know, it's going to come out in December of 2011. No, it's going to come out in April of 2012. No, it's going to come out in June of 2012. October 2012. December 2012. March 2013. It eventually came out in like June of 2013. And during Comic-Con, it was very well known that the film had like tons of like production issues. And I remember seeing the trailer and people was like talking about like how bad the CGI and how dated it was. And it's not what you guys had watched. Like, it's not like what we watched because they definitely finished it off better. But in the original trailer, if you, I don't know if you can look it up still online if it's available, but the CGI was literally like animated characters. Like, it looked like you were watching like the live action version of Scooby Doo, is how like bad these zombie characters looked. And I guess it got to the point where like Paramount was considering scrapping the entire film. Because literally, I guess, like, the author came forward and was like, um, the only thing that World War Z in my book has in common is the title. It literally is not even recognizable as World War Z. People who were fans of the book, it's not going to be even remotely like it. It has nothing to do with my story at all. And people were kind of like laughing about that. But apparently, like, he was roasting the production of it. And I guess that it got to a point where Brad Pitt and the director was like so fed up with each other that Brad Pitt would like show up to set and not even speak to him. And they had to hire a mediator to talk to Brad Pitt to get his input. And then the mediator would then walk over to the director and basically like say what Brad Pitt was thinking. The director would tell the mediator, go back over to Brad Pitt and say what the director was thinking. And they were not even on speaking terms at all. Um, so that was like really interesting it went through five writers for rewrites so the film was shot paramount said the quality was not there they hired a person to rewrite it and which wrote a couple scenes that person never finished it they ended up hiring a second rewriter that person quit before even starting the rewrites they hired a third rewriter to replace the second one that quit before they started which completely redid the first act of the film 
but didn't finish the second and the third one. And they said it makes absolutely no cohesive sense. So they hired a fourth one to rewrite the third act to tie the first act of the third to make them all cohesive together. And then the fifth writer came together to put the scenes in the middle to kind of bridge the gap in between it. And if you watch it, what I got from it is it did feel like the editing was like kind of choppy. And I understand now because I actually was looking into this like why? Because every time I watch World War Z, this is the third time I've seen it. Every time I watch it, I'm like, man, the editing is like really, really super choppy. What's going on? So I look it up and I'm like trying to figure out what scenes were original, what scenes were reshot. And I shit you not. If you rewatch it, knowing those like scenes that was like refilmed, you can see that Brad Pitt is like pissed. I don't know what it is, but there's like a scene like where he's like with his family and they're like um, their kitchen and they're like making breakfast and talking or something. And you can just see the guys like pissed off right there in the kitchen. I don't know if it's just me, but the way it just seems, I don't know. It just kind of seems that way. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I know exactly what happened. The director mentioned Fight Club. <laughs> in the first role. They don't talk about Fight Club, remember? <laughs> so the budget inflated to $269 million. That's more than it costs to make the Avengers plus like 50 extra million dollars on top of that. This film completely just like was a financial disaster. Paramount hates it. The writer hates it. The director hates it. Brad Pitt's still pissed to this day, I'm pretty sure. And the studio is just absolutely was not interested in even trying to salvage it. So it's surprising that we even got to see it. Cinematography was good. Um, Brad Pitt was a complete badass. I'm going to give him that. He really did a great job for what it was. I think they did salvage the CGI pretty well. I think they did a really good job with that. Um, overall, I'll be honest, I did have a lot of issues with the story, the narrative, the script, all of that kind of stuff. I really had a lot of like, I have a lot of empty questions. I have a lot of like pacing problems. But overall, if you just look at it like, hey, we made a zombie film and it's 2013 when we made a zombie film and it's so popular after, you know, I, I mean, zombie films was kind of resurrected with Zombieland, I guess. Yes. But at the same time, like World War Z was kind of like the, you know, anti Zombieland. It had like a very dark tone to it. So it's kind of crazy to see a dark tone zombie film succeed in 2013. Um, but overall, it was okay. I mean, it was all right. I, I just think that the story like behind the making of almost is like funnier and more entertaining than the actual movie, just because I could imagine Brad Pitt like being so pissed off at the director that they're not even on speaking terms, but they're still filming the movie together. And they're like, oh, well, we have we have another reshoot tomorrow. And then they have to reshoot it again next month. And then they have a third reshoot for the third writer. And they just kept filming this movie. And it went on for two years. So essentially from day one of filming to the very end of filming, it took them two years to finish this. Like just the filming. Mm. Plus the editing. It's mm. a shame that they had so many problems on set because I thought the film turned out really well. I didn't notice the ed the choppy editing you're saying. I thought it flowed really well. Um, it was really cool to see the creative type of zombies that they like the newer zombies. Uh, the ones that didn't 
lean was just trying to scratch you or eat your brains or anything. They were leading out of instinct. They were literally mm-hmm. like their mouth was the first thing moving. Like the, if you look when they're running, their li- their their head is tilted frontwards, like the they're leading the way with yeah. their mouth chomping forward. And I thought that was really cool. I mean, they that that's because and that's the thing. A lot of people will say, you know, surprisingly, the film turned out for it to have such crazy, crazy stories about what happened on set and have such issues. It turned out like halfway decent. A lot of people do really like the film, and I don't hate the film. It's just like one of those things. It's just like I think that it was played with so many issues that I picked up on with like with the editing in terms of like basically how would I say it? It's very like convoluted in terms of the editing. So overall, yes, the editing was choppy to me, but I mean, I think it was still definitely a very enjoyable film. It had a lot of good qualities about it. And I think that after it went through so many hands, instead of it turning and taking a left-hand turn to like shitville, it actually kind of like composed a halfway decent zombie story. So, I mean, I'm right in the middle. There's so many issues I have, but it is okay. I think for my final rating, I'm going to give it a five. Wow. I expected a lot higher from you. Really? Yeah, you talked this up to me. Like the first episode that we did, I said I hadn't seen this film and you like you were really saying how, how much you liked it. It's really, here's the thing. It's one of those films that when you watch it, it is really, really interesting and fun with the aspect of how they portray the zombies. Um, Brad Pitt's a badass, so that is good. It was a little goofy at times to me. So, I mean, it is definitely, it has a lot of great qualities that I would definitely recommend it to people to at least check it, especially like zombie films. But for me, especially whenever I rewatched it this time and really had that in mind, um, it really kind of just brought it down for me. But it still, like I said, has a lot of great qualities to go back to with it. So, yeah. Well, even though that Brad Pitt's character is the luckiest bastard in the world because he gets put in every situation where thousands of zombies are attacking him and helicopters crash inside and he's still the only person that survives every single sequence, um, I still <laughs> like the movie a lot. I thought the zombies were fun. They were creepy. Uh, they were different than most zombies. I didn't like that they were able to crawl on top of each other and form like pyramid type stuff. That was a little a little too much i think um but overall that first 20 minute sequence really really did it for me um i gave this movie an eight out of ten nice so we are at eight 16 17 19, 20 21 we're all kind of like neck and neck 21 21 22 yeah. what what did you give this mike an eight an eight, okay. I, I I really enjoyed this, but I mean, we're like I said, I really enjoyed all three movies. Well, yeah, they were all. I think that something really great is is all three films was very different. Like they all had their own qualities to them, um, not near even like the same kind of subgenre of horror. So I do love the fact that we were able to choose like three solid picks that were from different subgenres because I did enjoy all three of them as well. Um, I just think that the superior one by far was the pit. That's just me just saying. 
or I happen to think that sometimes they come back is better. <laughs> oh yeah. Which one do you think's the best, Mike? I really like Debbie Does Dallas. Wait a minute, what are we talking about here? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, I really enjoyed uh, World War Z, but I, <laughs> I, I as well though. If I had to pick though, I shockingly like the pit. Hey, come Holy on! Pins. I did. I did not think I was going to really enjoy it, uh, but. Yeah, I did. I, it's I really bonkers. did. I can't. It's wild. Let me also recommend something to to you, Mike, and then also to our listeners from the same kind of subgenre and time frame of horror. Um, it's canoe exploitation. It's called Pin, a plastic nightmare, and it's yeah. just as bonkers as the pit for different reasons. Really, it has an anatomical, huh. um, like body, like a skeleton. And let's just say it's similar themes to, to the pit, but it has a lot of really, really creepy, slightly ancestral kind of um things. So definitely check nice. it out. It's really good. I may have to bring yeah, that into sure. one of our future chats because I want you guys to really see it. So you know what we have to do now? We have to put our movies against the wheel and spin it and see if we get any points to help us become victorious in our choosing of films oh yeah i'm excited all right so let me get this up so tyler your film had a total of 21 points so you shall spin first all right i'm spinning the wheel first here we go <laughs> oh, I am so mad. Oh, my God. That's funny. Oh, oh Jesus. Wow. So, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 17. Oh. It's the pit. Oh, my God. All right, so you are down to that, 17. You know what, guys? I have to say something. That score was given to you by Brad Pitt. This is the pits. I'll just laugh. <laughs> All right. I will go ahead and spin now for sometimes they come back. All right. Here we go. I got to do better than negative four. I'm pissed. Watch you get like negative 10. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> that was so bad. Wow. So Chris has just scored positive three, so he gets three points added onto a score, making it what 26? 25. 25. 25. 25. All right. So I'm at 17. You've already you've already beat me. So this is basically the determination right now. So Mike, you have 21 points. Chris has 25. Let's do this. He needs Let's do it basically score at least four points or more on the will to to at least tie or win. Here we go. The will of death. Oh, yeah. Come on. Positive 10. Oh, good. What? Oh, positive no! 7. 
Mike's zombie film, World War Z, has just won Fright Fights, Literary Horror Edition. What do you have to say, Mike? I just want to thank uh, the point system first. And um, it's real. I'm just lying. (laughs) (laughs) So last time, last time Mike got a positive 10, and now he gets a positive 7. Hey, I don't like to talk about my past lacks. It's about the now, okay? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, 28 points. Uh, World War Z wins Fright Fights. Oh, yeah. I think that we we should thank the five writers of World War Z and Brad Pitt. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. This means that once again, Mike gets to choose the theme of next show. So whenever we come back next time, Mike's picks will be, we will be doing Mike's picks basically. So really excited. Um, I think it was a really fun show. What do you guys think? Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. Nice. Really yes. had, a, had a good time. Perfect. I think the wheel sucks. I think the wheel sucks too. I, I hate Mike. <laughs> I hate Brad Pitt. I hate zombies. I don't like the wheel. I don't like the podcast. I'm done. This is it. I'm going to get you a gift and send it. It's going to be World War Z. <laughs> Everybody listening to this, you have just won a free copy of World War Z. <laughs> oh, gosh. So um, if you guys are listening on iTunes, please make sure you follow the show if you like it. Um, make sure you give us a rating that tells the algorithm that you like our stuff and it does boost our ratings and the system. So definitely do that for us. Listening on Spotify, do the same as well you know comment subscribe rate on youtube um we definitely love interacting with you know fellow listeners fellow horror fans we absolutely just yes make sure you give us comments make sure you give us some feedback um always we actually really want to hear from you guys with some horror questions chris you actually was it we were asking a certain question um on our facebook page is that what we're going to do each time yeah, every week I'm going to uh, to reach out to the fans or to the listeners or whatever you want to call you guys uh, to ask us questions about us and our thoughts on certain horrors. If you if you say you know what kind of um, what kind of horror films do you like to watch during Halloween or what do you think of this particular movie? Have you ever heard of this or heard of this book or whatever? Anything in the world of horror, ask us a question on if you want to hear our thoughts about it. We will answer it on air. And we'll even give you a shout out with your name and everything to let you know you are the one asking the question. So feel free to send us those messages every single week and we will reply to those. Awesome. Let's go. All right. So Chris, Mike, Tyler, Bright Fights, check us out on all platforms. Um, We're now available on pretty much any kind of platform that you want to listen to podcasts on. And we hope you tune in next time and peace. And just like that, always listen to Fright Fights because sometimes we come back.